The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Futures pointing towards a higher open, with Wall Street turning, trying to turn its best weekend since November. Johnson & Johnson filing for FDA emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine. Ford Motor becoming the latest automaker to announce bigger investments in electric and autonomous vehicles. Shares of Snap dropping this morning on comments from the company about the coming year. And it is Super Bowl weekend. We're going to talk commercials, betting, and the big business behind the big game. It is Friday, February 5th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. I'll always get fired up by Van Halen in the morning. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting their day up right now. Stock futures indicating a nice, at least modest opening bell higher. The Dow Jones implied higher by roughly 100 points. The S&P higher by 12 points and the Nasdaq higher by 36 points implied. Now, all of this, here's how the major averages stand for the week. All of those moves leading up to the Dow up three and a half percent so far just this week. The S&P is up over four percent and the Nasdaq is up five and a half percent as well. So a good week. It could be the best week since November. And don't forget, it's also Jobs Friday today. The government payrolls report is due out at 830 a.m. Eastern time. Polled forecasters predict the economy added 50,000 jobs last month after losing 140,000 in December. The unemployment rate stays at 6.7 percent. It's been there for months now at this stage. With all of that in mind and the expectations there, let's take a look at the Treasury bond market because we are seeing 10-year Treasury note yields just ticking higher, 1.14% here. So we are making that move higher and have been trending that way for the last several weeks now. The 30-year long bond at 1.93%. Meanwhile, on the short end of things, the two-year Treasury note, a tick lower to 0.11% or 11 basis points. Let's now go worldwide with the Asia trade. As you can see there, a bit of a mixed session. The Nikkei in Japan up 1.5%, modest losses for the Shanghai composite. As for the trade in Europe, let's spin that globe around there. We are seeing a bit of movement there to the upside, modestly so. The CAC in France, the outperformer, they're up almost one full percent. Meanwhile, the German DAX is up a one quarter of one percent. And the FTSE 100 in the UK is just about flat, maybe up one tenth of one percent at this stage here. Well, in corporate news this morning, Johnson & Johnson officially applying for emergency use authorization or EUA from the FDA for its COVID vaccine. Last week, the company released data showing the vaccine was about 66 percent effective in protecting against the COVID-19 virus. Robinhood lifting trading restrictions on shares of GameStop and AMC. This comes a week after the trading platform limited trading of 50 volatile stocks that were heavily shorted. Right now, you can see GameStop in the pre-market trade, $61. The trade there up 14 percent right now. 
And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with top financial regulators late yesterday to discuss the retail trading frenzy surrounding many of those aforementioned heavily shorted names. A Treasury Department spokesman says the regulators will continue to look at whether the volatility in those stocks and the broker's responses are consistent with investor protection and fair and efficient markets. That's a direct quote. Now back to the markets. Joining me, Essex Investment Management Co-Chief Executive Officer and Senior Portfolio Manager, Nancy Pryle. Nancy, thank you very much for being here right now. Has you been worried at all with the market the way it is right now, seeing everything that you've seen with some of these heavily shorted names? Could it be symptomatic of, of a market that is perhaps near a top? Good morning, and thank you very much for having me, Dom. You know, although we certainly see some level of speculation in the market, and there's certainly some pockets of over-exuberance, particularly in some of these Robinhood names, we don't think that this portends a systemic risk to the market overall. And in fact, at some level, we're very excited to see the increased participation by individuals in the stock market, something that we've been sorely missed for a number of years. The type, is this the type of participation that you want? I, I mean, when I was growing up, I'm not that old, but I'm also not young either. I'm, I'm Gen X, and I was kind of raised to, hey, keep putting money in the 401k, look at index funds, get rich slowly. What does that say then about the new paradigm for investing or trading if this is the kind of thing that we can expect to see going forward? Well, I would agree that it is very important for individuals as well as institutions to recognize that fundamentals matter, doing your homework matters, we believe that not paying too much for growth matters, and that getting rich carefully, as Jim Cramer would say, may be a more prudent long-term strategy than trying to get rich quick. Having said that, however, there's a lot of room in the market for a lot of different types of approaches, both on the individual and the institutional side. And if people have some money that they want to speculate with to take a risk, particularly on stocks that maybe are very deep value stocks that are really out of favor, or on stocks that are very exciting, open-ended, brand new growth opportunities, that's okay as long as you don't risk more than you can afford to lose. It sounds to me like you're talking about that acronym GARP, right? G-A-R-P, <laughs> growth at a reasonable price. Those are the types of things that fund managers have talked to their clients about for years now. Is there still the ability at this market level, near record highs, at record highs right now for certain indices, to find growth in the market at a reasonable price? There actually are tremendous opportunities to find what can be called growth at a reasonable price, what I actually like to call growth stocks masquerading as value or less well, less well exploited stocks. Part of that is because when you look at the benchmarks, what we see is a great deal of concentration in some of the very narrow areas that have been the beneficiaries of the pandemic or that have been very clear beneficiaries of some of the digital transformation, EVs, some of the most exciting parts in the market, but underrepresentation in areas like computer hardware, some of the consumer discretionary, um, in industrials, chemicals, and things like that. We think that if you look in these less well-exploited areas, and particularly if you look for companies that are benefiting from the big growth trends, so maybe a semiconductor company or a semiconductor equipment company like i Holdings that will benefit from reshoring of manufacturing and the pervasive um, 
inclusion of semiconductors in all kinds of Internet of Things, Internet at Home, connected cars, um, car, um, car suppliers that can benefit from the move to EVs, things like that can find places where there is growth that really is not yet fully reflected in the price of the stock. If you look at the way things are setting up right now, Nancy, that the way that we have kind of gotten to the stage has been through many different iterations of a kind of growth or value orientation. We've kind of gyrated between the two. Knowing what you know right now, if you take a look at that trade, is it the pandemic recovery trade that continues to play out? Are we looking at some of these cyclical type places in the marketplace, beaten down energy stocks, industrials, small cap type companies? Or are we just going to go back and say, hey, you know what? Big tech, mega cap technology has always worked. That's where I'm going to go towards now. So we actually think it's going to be in the middle. Um, The big cap technology companies have very good businesses. We do think that they are likely to underperform this year on a relative basis just because the expectations are very high. The growth rates were high last year. The comparisons are going to get more difficult. And we've certainly seen that with some of the reaction to some of the earnings, although the earnings have been great and have been surprising. The stocks have not reacted as well. On the deep value side, it's very important to find companies where the business model is not challenged, where you're not seeing a secular decline. You know, the old story, you don't want to buy buggy whips after the car has been invented. You want to make sure you're not investing in those companies. Those companies in the middle, though, again, back to the growth at a reasonable price or undervalued growth stocks is where we think that the market will shine this year. And in fact, if you look at what happened in January, particularly in the small cap space, what you saw was the factor that was the leading factor in that month were, in fact, those stocks in the middle that are good growth companies selling at reasonable valuations. We also think this year portends very well for small cap stocks. Now, we had a great small cap quarter in the fourth quarter, but one quarter does not make a cycle. We think we are potentially at the beginning of a multi-year cycle of small cap outperformance driven by valuation, driven by underexposure, particularly by institutions into the small cap stocks, and driven by an improvement, a steepening of the yield curve and the potential for a reflation trade. All right. Reflation is a word that we're hearing a lot about these days. Nancy Pryor at Essex, thank you very much for joining us. Have a, have a nice weekend. Thank you. Now to Washington, D.C. President Biden is expected to deliver remarks on the economy later on today. Tracy Potts joins us now with a roundup of the big things to watch for from our nation's capital. Happy Friday morning, Tracy. Hey, happy Friday morning, Dom. Good morning, everyone. A couple of sources familiar with what's happening at the White House tell us that today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and a dozen Democrats will sit down with the president to talk about this COVID relief bill and how to help the economy recover. Rooted in America's most President Biden speaks on the economy today, hours after a new jobs report shows how many Americans are unemployed. The Senate's been debating COVID relief all night. This amendment is designed to say, let's put American workers first. Mr. President, Senator from Illinois. The solution sounds so simple, and it's simply wrong. Democrats in charge allowing Republicans to object now so they can approve a bill without Republican support later. This is not the time for trillions more dollars to make perpetual lockdowns and economic decline a little more palatable. 
The White House says President Biden will not reduce stimulus checks from $1,400, but may agree to send them to the neediest families. We're fine with that idea. What we're not going to do is leave out large swaths of the middle class. The Senate's also preparing for former President Trump's impeachment trial. The trial will commence on Tuesday. We'll see if it's going to be a Senate of courage. Mr. Trump's lawyers confirmed he will not testify. Democrats prosecuting the case call that evidence of guilt. One of Mr. Trump's lead lawyers says they're pulling together a witness list and will argue it's unconstitutional to try a former president. They're expecting the trial to last a week. Now, the White House says next week they're going to keep the president busy with events on the pandemic and the economy as if that trial isn't even happening, Dom. Uh, but it certainly is. Uh, the, according to one official, they just can't wait for it to be over. A lot of stuff, a lot of variables happening right now, of course, and narratives cross currents all over the place. Tracy Potts in D.C., thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, Peloton has been a stay-at-home stock winner of the last year, but shares are sinking this morning. We'll tell you why. But first, as we head to break, check out some of this morning's other big winners and losers. You can see in the S&P pre-market, it's News Corp up 8%, Activision Blizzard up 7%, Teradyne up 3%. Meanwhile, take a look at the losing side of the equation. Some of the pre-market losers include Unum Group. Down about two and three quarter percent. T-Mobile, U.S. and Fortinet also down about two and a half percent as well. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange in corporate news this morning. Ford reporting a wider-than-expected fourth-quarter loss of $2.8 billion dollars. Sales also fell shy of analyst estimates, but investors are focusing on Ford's push towards electric vehicles. It plans to spend more than $22 billion through the year 2025, double what it previously announced for EV development. Those shares you can see up about one half of 1%. Snap is reporting a bigger than expected fourth quarter net loss. Still, though, revenues jumped 62%, beating forecasts. Daily active users on the Snapchat platform rose 22 million, or 22% to 265 million. But Snap is warning a new privacy feature in Apple's iOS software, which could allow users to opt out of tracking, could present a risk for advertising. Remember, Facebook is talking about the same type of thing. Snap shares down 7% pre-market. Snap CEO, by the way, Evan Spiegel, will be on Squawk on the Street in an exclusive interview later on this morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, a must-watch interview there. And Peloton topping $1 billion in quarterly revenue for the first time. 
But shares are lower, as you can see, by 7% roughly there, as shipping costs and other investments really help to address severe wait times and delivery delays could weigh on results this quarter. So keep an eye on those Peloton shares as well. Still on deck for the show, the CEO of fintech startup Klarna on the big trend of buy now, pay later, plus why his company is advertising in this year's Super Bowl. Stay tuned. Today's big number, $2.09 trillion. That's the total amount of currency in circulation as of January, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. A 16% increase over the prior year. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Let's get them. I'll make payment one, two, three. I'll make payment four. Really? All right, what you just saw was the upcoming debut for the Super Bowl ad from Klarna, the buy now, pay it later company. The service also announced that 2020 saw its users double to 15 million in the U.S. and December saw a 200 percent year over year increase in monthly active users. This all comes as more consumers shopped online and took advantage of payment installment services like Klarna. Joining us now is Sebastian Simikowski, CEO of Klarna. Let's talk about just how robust demand has been. How much has online shopping driven your business at Klarna? Yeah, obviously, during this COVID, I want to, uh, you know, always want to say when I talk about COVID, it's obviously a tragedy in many ways. But for us specifically in e-commerce, it's obviously been a massive accelerator and we've seen such tremendous growth in it. But not only that, I think also the other very interesting trend here is that the credit card balances have dropped 73 billion this year. That's more than 10 percent down. And that is going to save every U.S. consumer over $120 in interest rate charges. And one reason this trend is happening is because companies like ourselves supply a solution that allows you to pay on installments and on your debit card with no interest for the consumer. And this is a major shift that we're starting to see the beginning of as consumers. We have now 15 million users in the U.S. adding a million users a month. We're the fourth most downloaded app in the, in, in the shopping app in the iPhone category. So it's quite very, very fascinating to see what's going on right now. You know, what's, what's fascinating also, Sebastian, it, it seems so counterintuitive to think that during a massive recession and economic slowdown driven by a, a virus pandemic can lead to increased savings rates and healthier balance sheets for consumers. I, I'm curious, though, people are using your installment services. That, that to me seems like they're incurring debt. Is that, in, in essence, what's happening here? And how exactly do you guys make money if you're charging for four interest-free installment payments? Right. So this, the shift is that it's what we refer to as merchant-funded credit. So the merchants are paying fees for offering consumers these products, but the, they are exactly the same for all of them. The, the, the problem with the traditional credit cards is that a lot of uh, affluent customer gets no interest uh, 
you know, 30 days grace period and a lot of loyalty schemes, while a subset of those customers revolve at very high interest rates and pay for the rest. That is not the way of the future. The way the future is that people use debit cards and occasionally use installment products where uh, everyone gets it for interest free and the merchant bears uh, the cost of those services and sees, however, the benefit in the lift in sales, lift in AOV, because consumers feel more comfortable using these products. The old products were built in an intransparent way in order to lure customers into uh, financial decisions that are counterproductive. These products offer you the availability of credit, but in a way that's actually good for your economy uh, because it doesn't cost you an interest rate. So, so, so take, take us through. I mean, we, we, we started the segment off by showing your, your first ever Super Bowl ad. It's going to debut this weekend. What exactly is driving you to want to advertise in the Super Bowl? It's got to be a very expensive spot to run. What's, it, what's the business driver behind it? Are you trying to get that many more people to be aware of Klarna and other type services like Affirm and everybody else out there? Well, I think that we, we are in a critical time. We've seen this in other European markets where we have outgrown companies like PayPal. We have higher share of checkout in you know, the UK, in the German countries, in the Nordic countries, in a lot of countries in Europe. And we now have the coverage in the US. We're live at Macy's, we're live at Etsy, we're live at Sephora, we're live at Lululemon, Pandora, Saks Fifth, et cetera. So we're all there, but the brand is just on that verge of creating that you know, customer awareness. And we see Super Bowl as an amazing opportunity to kind of bring it to people's attention. And the second you've seen it on that Super Bowl ad, you're gonna see it in every merchant because we have been able and have been so fortunate to, to get so many great partners to work with in the last six to 12 months. So that's why we think this is the critical and, and, and right time point to do this. And obviously, it's a lot of fun. We're very proud as a Swedish company to be on the Super Bowl as well. But that's, that's, uh, that's a different aspect of it. Sebastian, before we let you go, really briefly here, if you're a football fan, are you going to be watching the game? And, and who do you think wins? Um, I am a football fan. I'm going to watch it, but I'm not going to make any predictions because I'm just going to make a fool out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think we all make fools out of ourselves sometimes with these predictions. Sebastian Sibikowski, thank you very much. The CEO of Klarna, and good luck with your Super Bowl ad this coming weekend. Coming up on the show, Johnson & Johnson asking the FDA to greenlight its one-dose COVID vaccine. The details of that big deal coming up next. But first, February is Black History Month, and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. As we go to break, here is host of NBC's American Ninja Warrior, Akbar Bajabila Mila on his professional inspiration. Two people that really inspire me, I'd have to say LeBron James and Maverick Carter. I love the teamwork that they have. You can see the camaraderie, you can see the business partnership, but I think the overall message is you can bring and trust people from your community to move you forward. That's the big inspiration in their partnership. Good morning. It's Jobs Friday and futures are pointing towards a hiring, a higher opening bell. The bulls are looking to finish strong with stocks on track for their best week since November. The fight against COVID. Johnson & Johnson asking for emergency use authorization for its one-dose vaccine. Meantime, China facing some trouble in its own rollout of immunizations. We'll head to Beijing for the latest there. And, of course, it is Super Bowl weekend. We're going to talk commercials betting and the big business behind the biggest game of the year it's february 5th friday 2021 and you are watching worldwide exchange on cnbc 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here is how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures, as you can see, they're pointing towards some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow implied higher by roughly 114 points. The S&P higher by roughly 13 to 14 points. And the Nasdaq higher by roughly 34 points. On the Treasury side of things, we're seeing a move higher again in longer term Treasury rates. You can see benchmark 10-year note yields, 1.145%. The 30-year long bond, Treasury side of things, 1.94%. And the two-year Treasury note taking lower to 11 basis points or 0.11%. Well, making headlines this morning, ExxonMobil is reportedly considering adding activist investor Jeff Ubbin to its board of directors. Bloomberg reports Ubbin's firm, Inclusive Capital Partners, is also talking about taking a stake in the oil giant, if he gets the appointment to the board, Exxon shares up one and a half percent in the pre-market trade. Johnson & Johnson officially applying for emergency use authorization or EUA from the FDA for its COVID vaccine. Last week, the company released data showing the vaccine was about 66 percent effective in protecting against the virus. In Sanofi, posting better than expected quarterly results this morning, the French drug maker is also promising more cost cuts as it looks to increase profit margins. The company is facing pressure to deliver a COVID vaccine after it warned in December that the vaccine it was developing with GlaxoSmithKline showed an insufficient immune response in some older folks. Sanofi shares up 2% in the French trade. Sticking on the topic of COVID-19, as the Biden administration works to ramp up vaccinations here in the U.S., the former epicenter of the outbreak, China, has rolled out its own aggressive strategy. But the campaign is looking less effective than initially thought. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with more on the latest there. Good evening, Eunice. Good morning, Dom. So I'm at a vaccination center and I'm right outside the entrance. And you could tell that it's the entrance because there's a QR code where I could take my phone and then scan it in order to register. So right now, uh, 31.2 million people so far have uh, gotten their first injection as of yesterday through this type of these types of centers. Um, and that sounds like a lot. But uh, when you think about how the goal uh, for Beijing was to inoculate 50 million people by today before the Lunar New Year holiday, you could tell that China is falling a bit short. Now, there are a lot of questions as to why that would be. You would think that China would be good because it's so far been very efficient about mobilizing a lot of other um, um, measures when it comes to uh, COVID. But uh, when it comes to vaccinations, they've run into a couple of hurdles. And one is that they only use Chinese vaccines and Chinese vaccines are actually slower to make. So uh, it's an inactivated vaccine. And uh, from what the scientists have said, it actually takes a little bit longer here in order to make up all of those vaccines. Now, secondly, another issue is that the country has been exporting hundreds of millions of vaccines overseas. Some would argue it's for political reasons, but for whatever the case, that means that there just aren't enough vaccines here in order to cover the entire population. And then, of course, there is the fact that there are a lot of people who are much more hesitant about taking the vaccine. And that's because, oddly um, and ironically, you could say, uh, because Beijing has been able to manage the number of cases, the uh, infection rate, uh, risk is seen as relatively low. So people are feeling that, well, you know, I don't really know that much about this vaccine. Um, especially here in China, there's been a lot of questions about the data with 
these uh, Chinese vaccines. And so people are thinking, well, maybe I could just put it off a little bit more. And then finally, uh, the uh, biggest challenge for China has been the fact that it has such a huge population. In fact, the EIU had put out some research a couple of days ago saying they don't think that China will be able to finish its full inoculation until 2023. So that's a lot of that's a lot of time. And of course, a lot of people to inoculate. Dom? Eunice, here, here, in the, here in the U.S., we're running into some of the same thematic type kind of discussions, right? This idea there are folks out there who don't believe that the COVID virus is nearly as bad or as deadly as people say it is. They think that they don't need to get vaccinated because we've been handling it relatively well, at least in their minds. How exactly is the government treating that type of discussion there? We know that it's a little bit more difficult with regard to a government that's more perhaps authoritarian than it is like here in the U.S. But still, what exactly are they telling the population about how important it is to get a vaccine? Well, people, I mean, the the Chinese government has said that, and just like the U.S. government, uh, the Chinese government says that getting a vaccine is very important. And so that's one of the reasons why they've been setting up these uh, vaccination centers. Um, They're uh, making sure that they talk to companies and say, organize your people in order to try to um, you know, bring them to these vaccination centers. They're also going to community centers. That's another development that we saw in the past um, couple of days where uh, residential compounds are being asked to um, organize the people there in order to bring them to the centers. So um, there is a, an, an importance that's placed on, on getting a vaccine. At the same time, you know, there, there is a lot of hesitancy here. And it's, it's almost like they're, they're from, you know, in the minds of, of uh, the people here, they've been the Chinese government has been so successful in uh, trying to root out the pandemic that uh, people are feeling that they just don't really want to be the first ones to get the vaccine. And because the, uh, the, low, the, you know, the infection risk is seen as relatively low here, they feel like maybe they could wait even till the end of the year. All right. It's a, it's a complex dynamic for sure for every government out there. Eunice Yun live in Beijing with the latest there. Have a nice weekend, Eunice. Coming up on the show, a COVID testing company critical to this week's big Super Bowl festivities. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top headlines today, shares of Activision Blizzard jumping this morning. The video game publisher beating the street in its latest quarter and offering an update for full year sales. A forecast now driven by its Call of Duty franchise that's moving those shares to the upside. Pinterest shares also popping, the company topping estimates reporting strong growth thanks to the holidays amid the COVID-19 lockdowns. And Gilead Sciences posting a 26% rise in quarterly revenues helped by sales of its remdesivir, which has been authorized to treat COVID-19 patients across the world. The company also offering an upbeat forecast as well, though shares up 2% in the pre-market trade. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange will be back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Making headlines this morning, Tencent Music reportedly selecting banks for its planned second listing in Hong Kong. Bloomberg reports these firms include J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley. The offering could raise as much as $5 billion. Alibaba seeing its big interest in its $5 billion U.S. dollar bond offering. It received demand for eight times the debt being offered. Analysts were watching this amid the regulatory crackdown on the company by the Chinese government. And a SPAC backed by private equity firm KKR is looking to raise about $1 billion in its IPO. 
This according to a regulatory filing yesterday as well. Well, this is, of course, Super Bowl weekend. Well before the big football game, though, it's the Shaq Bowl, presented by Shaquille O'Neal and featuring VIPs like Diplo, Tim Tebow, and Offset. And in order to pull off an event like this during a virus pandemic, they've partnered with a rapid testing company so that all participants, even the news crew, can get a negative test before entering the facility. It could be a way to get fans back into events sometime in the near future. Joining us now is Stephen Thomas, CEO of TPT Global Tech. That's the testing partner for the Shack Bowl. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Let's talk about what exactly is going to happen at Shack Bowl. What are the protocols you are putting into place that might be replicated down the line to get back to get fans back in the stands? To be here and discuss what we're doing down in Tampa. You know, uh, a strategic partner of ours uh, requested that we would go down and uh, actually uh, do the COVID testing for the Shack Bowl. So we were excited to be a part of it and to help out. And uh, basically what we do is uh, we took one of our mobile labs from Miami up to uh, Tampa. We have a registered nurses that actually do the COVID testing. And everybody who enters the event uh, is COVID tested. So the idea is that everybody within inside of the event uh, gets tested, downloads our app technology, <clears throat> and then uh, and then uh, everyone's uh, COVID free and to, free to uh, enjoy the event. How how uh, how big is the event going to be, Stephen? How many people are you expecting to rapid test for COVID associated with the Shack Bowl? Well, there's only about 250 people for the for the live broadcast, right? So we're we're doing that. You know, our, our technology was actually developed to do a lot more people. In an event, you know, we could do up to fifty to sixty thousand people with our with our uh, quick pass, quick lab technology. So we're excited to be a part of it. How exactly then, if it's going to be in that way, how exactly do you foresee a, a growth trajectory for your particular technology, your particular protocols? How exactly do you then market that to large event venues, say like concerts and, and, and sporting events? What exactly does your sales pitch sound like? What are you offering in terms of its, the, the, the logistical capabilities that you guys have? Well, one of the exciting things is that we're just now entering into a new partnership with events.com. And events.com has a ticketing uh, technology with over you know, millions of, of events uh, on their platform around the world. So we're partnering with them to go to different concerts, festivals, corporate events all around the world to provide our quick pass, quick uh, lab technology. And just so you know that, you know, as a company, we've given that technology out to the business community, uh, educational uh, systems for free. Airlines, corporations can use our check and verify system for free. So we're excited to be a part of it to help fight against this COVID uh, pandemic and be a part of the fight. Do you feel as though this type of protocol, these types of procedures, this this view that we have about testing and, and, and health and safety is an invasion of people's privacy in any way? Do, do I really need to have a passport, a QR code that needs to be scanned just so I can go to something like a supermarket or a restaurant or something else like that? Because, you know, Stephen, where they do that, they do it in China right now. Well, you know, it, it's a that's a very interesting question, you know, and, and for us, I believe that if we're going to tackle this pandemic and get our arms around it and, and try to get our 
life back to some type of normality, we're going to have to incorporate some type of technology to be able to separate those that are healthy from those that are, are sick and that need to be quarantined for that two-week period. So to have a system in place with a QR code, simple as just scanning your phone, to have access to the grocery store, access to the train station, or to fly, I think is a very important component of what we need to do in order to bring our, our, our global community back together so that we can actually have some type of normality in our life, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think it's important to have a technology that, that is not so uh, intrusive as to just a QR code scanning and you're negative or you're positive, you're free to fly, you know, you need to go and, uh, you know, rest for a couple of weeks before you can actually, you know, do something. So I think it's important. All right. Stephen Thomas with his quick lab and quick pass technology. Thank you very much. And good luck with the shack bolt. Let us know how it goes. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks very much. Well, like we said, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will take on the defending Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. This could be a matchup for the ages with the best player in the game right now, arguably Patrick Mahomes, the QB for the Chiefs, facing off against the greatest of all time, the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Bucs are the first team to play in the Super Bowl on their home field while the Chiefs are trying to be the first to repeat since Brady and New England did it back in 2004. Let's talk more about the game and the games around the game with Jabari Young. He knows all about these games. He's the sports business reporter for CNBC.com. Jabari, thank you very much for the early wake-up call. I can't imagine you're sleeping much these days because there's too much to talk about in sports. What exactly is going to happen for this Super Bowl? How big of a business will it be this year given the virus pandemic? Well, Don, first of all, thanks for having me. We're making history ourselves, right? It's first time, man, you get to share a screen. So it's uh, an honor for me to be uh, on screen with a legend like yourself. So thanks for having me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not getting to too much sleep, but, uh, you know, that's what it's all about, right? That's what we're in the business for. Um, and this week is going to be different. You know, I think, you know, listen, the NFL is the biggest event, biggest sporting event uh, one can argue of the year. And, you know, the Super Bowl is where it all happens, I, I think. You know, you just mentioned it, Brady versus uh, Mahomes. It doesn't get any better than that, right? You know, you have two quarterbacks, one of which is a legend, and the other one is trying to get to that point. Uh, and if he wants to crown, take it from Brady, you know, and, and that's what this game is all about. I think there's a lot of excitement around the game. Uh, from the business aspect, you know, you got to understand the NFL is not going to make as much money as they did down in Tampa as they did in Miami last year because the capacity is different. The pandemic obviously is affecting that. And I think that the thing that everybody's going to be looking at post-Super Bowl is the ratings, you know, to see if they can eclipse 100 million total uh, viewership. And that, is, that includes streaming. Uh, so we'll find out. You know, I'm looking forward to this game. I think it's going to be exciting. I think the NFL is doing the best they can around the safety and protocols of it. Uh, so, you know, we'll see exactly what happens. And uh, if they can get this one more game left, if they can get it uh, over and done with and, and start to look ahead to 2021 season. Over the last couple of years, Jabari, and I know that you've been following this closely, there's been a massive, a surge, a huge push in, in daily fantasy sports, online gambling, that sort of thing. A lot of jurisdictions around the country have now legalized it. How big of, a, of an event will this be, the Super Bowl, for betting now that we have so many places where it's legal? But, of course, the restrictions about going to actual sports books like in Las Vegas because people just don't travel as much with the virus pandemic. Well, you know what? I can tell you one thing. People do travel to bet. You know, DraftKings reported yesterday a man flew from Texas to Colorado because Texas is not you know, available uh, for the sports betting uh, platform, not yet. But flew from Texas to Colorado to place a $3.6 million bet, something around there. So if he wins, he stands to win $2 million. So people are flying to make bets. And uh, the American Gaming Association came out and said that they expect $4.3 billion just to be bet around the Super Bowl alone, Dom. 
4.3 billion around a Super Bowl alone. I don't think any that's not a number to frown at. I think that's great for the for the industry, for the sports betting industry. I mean, listen, it's here. Uh, and it's more in talking to FanDuel yesterday, uh, the, the CEO, Matt King, on the phone with him, you know, he kind of made a great point. As much as this is going to evolve, as, as, it, as it continues to evolve and more states adopt sports gambling, all you're going to do is take money away from the illegal markets. And that's more money that's available to be taxed. Uh, so, you know, listen, if they can get to that four point three billion number, I think that's a great sign for the industry. And it's only going to eclipse that next year, especially around these prop bets. As more people get used to sports gambling. I think that's where the problem. I mean, that's where where, where they got to start to speed up, uh, you know, their brand awareness to get more people used to it. And once you got people hooked, I don't think they're turning back. No, and Jabari, that's a great point here. But it's also a double-edged sword, right? We've seen kind of during the pandemic lockdowns, there's been a huge interest. Day trading activity is picked up by by many metrics that we kind of look at. A lot of people are now looking towards other ways to entertain themselves if they have the financial means. And unfortunately, even if they don't have the financial means to do so, is this overall going to be one of those catalytic type moments for the for the industry, much like it has been for online brokers during the virus pandemic? Will there be that many more people they can bring to market because of a game like the Super Bowl during a pandemic? Uh, If they win, (laughs) you know, if if people win, you know, they're going to keep coming back. You know, we'll see. You know, there's still the early days, Dom, for. Sports gambling and, and a lot has to happen. You know, market share is still kind of, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, uh, the bet MGMs of the world. Everybody's trying to gain position and market share. And again, they got to raise that brand awareness about their products. That's why daily, you know, you see a lot of daily fantasy companies still starting up because they're still trying to train a consumer to, hey, we're here. We're over here. You can bet. Uh, and people are still becoming aware that they can bet in their own states. You know, a, a classic example, again, Texas is going to be a big market. I don't think it's going to happen any any time down there anytime soon. But I mean, you know, listen, when you got people flying from Texas to Colorado to place a bet, I think you can be sure that it's here to stay. Uh, and, and it's just trying you going over the next five to 10 years. You're just going to see the market grow and see who's going to get that market share. So it's here to stay. Um, I, I don't think it's just a moment. This is a big moment for, for the uh, NFL, obviously, but for sports gaming and companies as well. So we'll see exactly what they can generate. But I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I think more and more people are going to gravitate towards sports gambling. I'm getting, you know, starting to get used to the terminology myself. I'm still ain't, <laughs> I ain't going too far from the blackjack table. But I, I can imagine in, in a few years, uh, you know, people, I myself, maybe placing a sports sure. bet or two on, on an old mobile app. All right, Jabari, before I let you go, really quickly, the Chiefs are given three and a half points. Who do you take to win? Man, I knew he was going to put me on a spot like that, Dom. I'm, I, listen, I love Mahomes. I think he's coming, and I, I think he's going to he's here to stay. But, I mean, listen, Tom Brady got through the NFC, going through Drew Brees and going through Aaron Rodgers, right? And all he has left is Patrick Mahomes. I can't go against a dude like that, man. All I right. can't. I'm going Brady in the box. Very, very political. I like it. That was, that was a, a sly move there. Jabari Young, CNBC.com, sports business reporter. Thank you very much. Enjoy the game, sir. Coming up, a jobs report, of course. It's Jobs Friday. Quarterly results coming up as well. And stimulus talks, the big issues that matter to markets today, all of that coming up. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us live here on air, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify, whatever podcast app you choose. We'll be right back on the show after this. Welcome back. We've got some breaking news out of Capitol Hill. Just moments ago, the Senate voted to approve a budget resolution which will ultimately allow Democrats to pass a proposed record of huge one point nine trillion dollar covid plan 
without any Republican support. Vice President Kamala Harris cast the tie-breaking vote. The passage now triggers the legislative tool known as reconciliation, which pretty much means that the aid bill can be passed with a simple majority in the Senate. The bill now goes back to the House, where it is expected to pass relatively quickly. So keep an eye on those developments. So joining us now is Sarah House, senior economist at Wells Fargo. That breaking news, Sarah, kind of puts a little bit more of a perspective on what's happening with the economy, COVID relief and everything else. What exactly do you then see the U.S. economy doing if Congress is able to act on a $1.9 trillion stimulus package? Well, I think it creates a lot of upside for the U.S. economy here over the course of, of the year. So already we're looking for activity to really ramp up mid-year as you do see more of the stimulus that we've already had passed filter in through the economy. And then you have that combined with the positive effects of the vaccinations gathering pace, as well as I think just some more moderate weather, which will help in, in terms of overall activity and get people out and about again and, and should help the overall spending picture. So if that's the case, then, I mean, it comes today, I made a huge jobs report. The first one of the year, it could show us some at least positivity, relatively speaking, about the economy. How important is this relief package to the American jobs picture? I think it is significant. So when you look at the the outlook for hiring ahead, so this month, as you indicate, it's still likely to be very weak. So we are expecting a, a positive gain, but the, the 60,000 job increase we're expecting barely puts a dent in the 9.8 million deficit that we still have in terms of jobs since COVID struck. But I think when you factor in what we're, what we're expecting with, um, with the stimulus, the fact that there is more support for businesses, you know, households, especially the most cash-strapped households have more spending in, in their pocket, that's, that's an overall uh, help for demand as well as just employers who are, are struggling in the near term to maybe keep more employees on the books. And that helps the overall hiring and in turn spending picture creating this virtuous circle. The hospitality business has taken an abnormally large hit because of this. How important is targeted relief for some of those industries like travel and tourism to this overall picture? I think it is significant since you think about what's really stopping them right now. It's not necessarily that consumers <laughs> don't have the, the means to spend. It is more about safety. And so it's really all about bringing that virus under control. And really, we can't get those industries back on their feet in a significant way until we do see more widespread vaccinations or at least people feeling that it's safer to go out and about. And so I think um, some targeted help would, would certainly be beneficial because if you look around other industries are actually doing quite well right now. You see um, manufacturing activity, you know, supply constraints and bottlenecks there just because demand has been demand has been so strong. But, you know, the, the picture is very different and, and more of those high contact discretionary services like leisure and hospitality. All right. Sarah House at Wells Fargo. Thank you very much. And good luck with the jobs report today. Thank you very much for your thoughts. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. You can see futures pointing to some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow implied higher by roughly 125 points. Have a nice weekend. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.